Chapter Eleven of Ruth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Lyons. Ruth by Elizabeth Cleghorn Gaskell. Chapter Eleven. Thurston and Faith Benson. You have now seen the note which was delivered into Mr. Benson's hands as the cool shades of evening stole over the glowing summer sky. When he had read it, he again prepared to write a few hasty lines before the post went out. The postboy was even now sounding his horn through the village as a signal for letters to be ready, and it was well that Mr. Benson, in his long morning's meditation, had decided upon the course to be pursued, in case of such an answer as that which he had received from Mrs. Bellingham. His present note was as follows. Dear Faith, you must come to this place directly, where I earnestly desire you and your advice. I am well myself, so do not be alarmed. I have no time for explanation, but I am sure you will not refuse me. Let me trust that I shall see you on Saturday at the latest. You know the mode by which I came. It is the best, both for expedition and cheapness. Dear Faith, do not fail me. Your affectionate brother, Thurston Benson. P.S. I am afraid the money I left may be running short. Do not let this stop you. Take my facciolati to Johnson's. He will advance upon it. It is the third row bottom shelf, only come. When this letter was dispatched, he had done all he could, and the next two days passed like a long monotonous dream of watching, thought, and care, undisturbed by any event, hardly by the change from day to night, which, now the harvest moon was at her full, was scarcely perceptible. On Saturday morning the answer came. Dearest Thurston, your incomprehensible summons has just reached me, and I obey, there proving my right to my name of faith. I shall be with you almost as soon as this letter. I cannot help feeling anxious, as well as curious. I have money enough, and it is well I have, for Sally, who guards your room like a dragon, would rather see me walk the whole way than have any of your things disturbed, your affectionate sister. It was a great relief to Mr. Benson to think that his sister would so soon be with him. He had been accustomed from childhood to rely on her prompt judgment and excellent sense, and to her care he felt that Ruth ought to be consigned, as it was too much to go on taxing good Mrs. Hughes with night-watching and sick-nursing, with all her other claims on her time. He asked her once more to sit by Ruth while he went to meet his sister. The coach passed by the foot of the steep ascent which led up to Landu. He took a boy to carry his sister's luggage when they arrived. They were too soon at the bottom of the hill, and the boy began to make ducks and drakes in the shallowest part of the stream which there flowed glassy and smooth, 
while Mr. Benson sat down on a great stone, under the shadow of an alder-bush which grew where the green flat meadows skirted the water. It was delightful to be once more in the open air, and away from the scenes and thoughts which had been pressing on him for the last three days. There was a new beauty in everything from the blue mountains which glimmered in the distant sunlight, down to the flat, rich, peaceful vale, with its calm round shadows, where he sat. The very margin of white pebbles which lay on the banks of the stream had a sort of cleanly beauty about it. He felt calmer and more at ease than he had done for some days, and yet, when he began to think, it was rather a strange story which he had to tell his sister, in order to account for his urgent summons. Here was he, sole friend and guardian of a poor sick girl, whose very name he did not know, about whom all that he did know was that she had been the mistress of a man who had deserted her, and that she feared, he believed, she had contemplated suicide. The offence, too, was one for which his sister, good and kind as she was, had little compassion. Well, he must appeal to her love for him, which was a very unsatisfactory mode of proceeding, as he would far rather have had her interest in the girl founded on reason, or some less personal basis, than showing it merely because her brother wished it. The coach came slowly rumbling over the stony road. His sister was outside, but got down in a brisk, active way, and greeted her brother heartily and affectionately. She was considerably taller than he was, and must have been very handsome. Her black hair was parted plainly over her forehead, and her dark, expressive eyes and straight nose still retained the beauty of her youth. I do not know whether she was older than her brother, but probably, owing to his infirmity requiring her care, she had something of a mother's manner toward him. Thurston, you are looking pale. I do not believe you are well, whatever you may say. Have you had the old pain in your back? No, a little. Never mind that, dearest Faith. Sit down here while I send the boy up with your box. And then, with some little desire to show his sister how well he was acquainted with the language, he blundered out his directions in a very grammatical Welsh, so grammatical, in fact, and so badly pronounced, that the boy, scratching his head, made answer, Dim Sesonic, so he had to repeat it in English. Well now, Thurston, here I sit as you bid me, but don't try me too long. Tell me why you sent for me. Now came the difficulty, and oh, for a seraph's tongue and a seraph's power of representation. But there was no seraph at hand, only the soft running waters singing a quiet tune and predisposing Miss Benson to listen with a soothed spirit to any tale not immediately involving her brother's welfare, which had been the cause of her seeing that lovely veil. It is an awkward story to tell Faith, but there is a young woman lying ill at my lodgings whom I wanted you to nurse. He thought he saw a shadow on his sister's face, and detected a slight change in her voice as she spoke. 
nothing very romantic i hope thurston remember i cannot stand much romance i always distrust it i don't know what you mean by romance the story is real enough and not out of the common way i'm afraid he paused he did not get over the difficulty well tell it me at once thurston i am afraid you have let someone or perhaps only your own imagination impose upon you but don't try my patience too much you know i've no great stock then i'll tell you the young girl was brought to the inn here by a gentleman who has left her she is very ill and has no one to see after her miss benson had some masculine tricks and one was whistling a long low whistle when surprised or displeased she had often found it a useful vent for feelings and she whistled now her brother would rather she had spoken have you sent for her friends she asked at last she has none another pause and another whistle but rather softer and more wavering than the last how is she ill pretty nearly as quiet as if she were dead she does not speak or move or even sigh it would be better for her to die at once i think faith that one word put them right it was spoken in the tone which had authority over her it was so full of grieved surprise and mournful upbraiding she was accustomed to exercise a sway over him owing to her greater decision of character and probably if everything were traced to its cause to her superior vigour of constitution but at times she was humbled before his pure childlike nature and felt where she was inferior she was too good and true to conceal this feeling or to resent its being forced upon her after a time she said thurston dear let us go to her she helped him with tender care and gave him her arm up the long and tedious hill but when they approached the village without speaking a word on the subject they changed their position and she leant apparently on him he stretched himself up into as vigorous a gait as he could when they drew near to the abodes of men on the way they had spoken but little he had asked after various members of his congregation for he was a dissenting minister in a country town and she had answered but they neither of them spoke of ruth though their minds were full of her mrs hughes had tea ready for the traveller on her arrival mr benson chafed a little internally at the leisurely way in which his sisters sipped and sipped and paused to tell him some trifling particular respecting home affairs which she had forgotten before mr bradshaw has refused to let the children associate with the dixons any longer because one evening they played at acting charades indeed a little more bread and butter faith thank you this welsh air does make one hungry mrs bradshaw is paying poor old maggie's rent to save her from being sent into the workhouse that's right won't you have another cup of tea i have had two however i think i'll take another 
Mr. Benson could not refrain from a little sigh as he poured it out. He thought he had never seen his sister so deliberately hungry and thirsty before. He did not guess that she was feeling the meal rather a respite from a distasteful interview, which she was aware was awaiting her at its conclusion. But all things come to an end, and so did Miss Benson's tea. Now will you go and see her? Yes. And so they went. Mrs. Hughes had pinned up a piece of green calico, by way of a Venetian blind, to shut out the afternoon sun, and in the light thus shaded lay Ruth, still and wan and white. Even with her brother's account of Ruth's state, such death-like quietness startled Miss Benson, startled her into pity for the poor lovely creature who lay thus stricken and felled. When she saw her, she could no longer imagine her to be an impostor or a hardened sinner. Such prostration of woe belonged to neither. Mr. Benson looked more at his sister's face than at Ruth's. He read her countenance as a book. Mrs. Hughes stood by crying. Mr. Benson touched his sister, and they left the room together. "'Do you think she will live?' asked he. "'I cannot tell,' said Miss Benson, in a softened voice. "'But how young she looks! Quite a child! Poor creature! When will the doctor come?' "'Thurston, tell me all about her. You have never told me the particulars.' Mr. Benson might have said she had never cared to hear them before, and had rather avoided the subject, but he was too happy to see this awakening of interest in his sister's warm heart to say anything in the least reproachful. He told her the story as well as he could, and, as he felt it deeply, he told it with heart's eloquence, and, as he ended and looked at her, there were tears in the eyes of both. "'And what does the doctor say?' asked she, after a pause. "'He insists upon quiet. He orders medicines and strong broth. I cannot tell you all. Mrs. Hughes can. She has been so truly good. Doing good, hoping for nothing again. She looks very sweet and gentle. I shall sit up to-night and watch her myself, and I shall send you and Mrs. Hughes early to bed, for you have both a worn look about you I don't like. Are you sure the effect of that fall has gone off? Do you feel anything of it in your back still? After all, I owe her something for turning back to your help. Are you sure she was going to drown herself? I cannot be sure, for I have not questioned her. She has not been in a state to be questioned, but I have no doubt whatever about it. But you must not think of sitting up after your journey, Faith. Answer me, Thurston. Do you feel any bad effect from that fall? No, hardly any. Don't sit up, Faith, to-night. Thurston, it's no good talking, for I shall. And if you go on opposing me, I dare say I shall attack your back and put a blister on it. Do tell me what that hardly any means. Besides, to set you quite at ease, you know I have never seen mountains before, and they fill me and oppress me so much that I could not sleep. I must keep awake this first night, and see that they don't fall on the earth and overwhelm it. And now answer my questions about yourself. 
Miss Benson had the power which some people have of carrying her wishes through to their fulfilment. Her will was strong, her sense was excellent, and people yielded to her. They did not know why. Before ten o'clock she reigned sole power and potentate in Ruth's little chamber. Nothing could have been better devised for giving her an interest in the invalid. The very dependence of one so helpless upon her care inclined her heart towards her. She thought she perceived a slight improvement in the symptoms during the night, and she was a little pleased that this progress should have been made while she reigned monarch of the sick-room. Yes, certainly there was an improvement. There was more consciousness in the look of the eyes, although the whole countenance still retained its painful traces of acute suffering, manifested in an anxious, startled, uneasy aspect. It was broad morning light, though barely five o'clock, when Miss Benson caught the light of Ruth's lips moving, as if in speech. Miss Benson stooped down to listen. "'Who are you?' asked Ruth, in the faintest of whispers. "'Miss Benson, Mr. Benson's sister,' she replied. The words conveyed no knowledge to Ruth. On the contrary, weak as a babe, in mind and body as she was, her lips began to quiver and her eyes to show a terror similar to that of any little child who wakens in the presence of a stranger and sees no dear familiar face of mother or nurse to reassure its trembling heart. Miss Benson took her hand in hers and began to stroke it caressingly. "'Don't be afraid, dear. I'm a friend come to take care of you. Would you like some tea now, my love?' The very utterance of these gentle words was unlocking Miss Benson's heart. Her brother was surprised to see her so full of interest when he came to inquire later on in the morning. It required Mrs. Hughes's persuasions, as well as his own, to induce her to go to bed for an hour or two after breakfast, and before she went she made them promise that she should be called when the doctor came. He did not come until late in the afternoon. The invalid was rallying fast, though rallying to a consciousness of sorrow, as was evinced by the tears which came slowly rolling down her pale sad cheeks, tears which she had not the power to wipe away. Mr. Benson had remained in the house all day to hear the doctor's opinion, and now that he was relieved from the charge of Ruth by his sister's presence, he had more time to dwell upon the circumstances of her case, so far as they were known to him. He remembered his first sight of her, her lithe figure swaying to and fro as she balanced herself on the slippery stones, half smiling at her own dilemma, with a bright happy light in the eyes that seemed like a reflection from the glancing waters sparkling below. Then he recalled the change affrighted look of those eyes as they met his, after the child's rebuff of her advances, how that little incident filled up the tale at which Mrs. Hughes had hinted, in a kind of sorrowful way, as if loath, as a Christian should be, to believe evil. Then, that fearful evening, when he had only just saved her from committing suicide and that nightmare sleep, and now lost, forsaken, and but just delivered from the jaws of death, 
she lay dependent for everything on his sister and him utter strangers a few weeks ago where was her lover could he be easy and happy could he grow into perfect health with these great sins pressing on his conscience with a strong and hard pain or had he a conscience into whole labyrinths of social ethics mr benson's thoughts wandered when his sister entered suddenly and abruptly what does the doctor say is she better oh yes she's better answered miss benson sharp and short her brother looked at her in dismay she bumped down into a chair in a cross disconcerted manner they were both silent for a few minutes only miss benson whistled and clucked alternately what is the matter faith you say she is better why thurston there is something so shocking the matter that i cannot tell you mr benson changed colour with fright all things possible and impossible crossed his mind but the right one i said all things possible i made a mistake he never believed ruth to be more guilty than she seemed faith i wish you would tell me and not bewilder me with those noises of yours said he nervously i beg your pardon but something so shocking has just been discovered i don't know how to word it she will have a child the doctor says so she was allowed to make noises unnoticed for a few minutes her brother did not speak. At last she wanted his sympathy. "'Isn't it shocking, Thurston? You might have knocked me down with a straw when he told me.' "'Does she know?' "'Yes, and I am not sure that that isn't the worst part of all.' "'How? What do you mean?' "'Oh, I was just beginning to have a good opinion of her, but I am afraid she is very depraved.' After the doctor was gone, she pulled the bed-curtain aside and looked as if she wanted to speak to me. I can't think how she heard, for we were close to the window and spoke very low. Well, I went to her, though I really had taken quite a turn against her, and she whispered quite eagerly. Did he say I should have a baby? Of course I could not keep it from her but i thought it my duty to look as cold and severe as i could she did not seem to understand how it ought to be viewed but took it just as if she had a right to have a baby she said oh my god i thank thee oh i will be so good i had no patience with her then so i left the room who is with her mrs hughes she is not seeing the thing in a moral light as I should have expected. Mr. Benson was silent again. After some time he began, Faith, I don't see this affair quite as you do. I believe I am right. You surprise me, brother. I don't understand you. Wait a while. I want to make my feelings very clear to you. But I don't know where to begin, or how to express myself. It is, indeed, an extraordinary subject for us to have to talk about, but if once I get clear of this girl I'll wash my hands of all such cases again. Her brother was not attending to her. He was reducing his own ideas to form. 
Faith, do you know I rejoice in this child's advent? May God forgive you, Thurston, if you know what you are saying, but surely it is a temptation, dear Thurston. I do not think it is a delusion. The sin appears to me to be quite distinct from its consequences. Sophistry and a temptation, said Miss Benson decidedly. No, it is not, said her brother, with equal decision. In the eye of God, she is exactly the same as if the life she had led had left no trace behind. We knew her errors before, Faith. Yes, but not this disgrace, this badge of her shame. Faith, Faith, let me beg of you not to speak so of the little innocent babe who may be God's messenger to lead her back to him. Think again of her first words, the burst of nature from her heart. Did she not turn to God and enter into a covenant with him? I will be so good. Why, it draws her out of herself. If her life has hitherto been self-seeking and wickedly thoughtless, here is the very instrument to make her forget herself and be thoughtful for another. Teach her and God will teach her, if man does not come between, to reverence her child, and this reverence will shut out sin, will be purification. He was very much excited. He was even surprised at his own excitement, but his thoughts and meditations through the long afternoon had prepared his mind for this manner of viewing the subject. These are quite new ideas to me, said Miss Benson coldly. I think you, Thurston, are the first person I ever heard rejoicing over the birth of an illegitimate child. It appears to me I must own rather questionable morality. I do not rejoice. I have been all this afternoon mourning over the sin which has blighted this young creature. I have been dreading lest, as she recovered consciousness, there should be a return of her despair. I have been thinking of every holy word, every promise to the penitent, of the tenderness which led the Madeline aright. I have been feeling severely and reproachfully the timidity which has hitherto made me blink all encounter with evils of this particular kind. O oh, faith, once for all, do not accuse me of questionable morality, when I am trying more than ever I did in my life to act as my blessed Lord would have done. He was very much agitated. His sister hesitated and then she spoke more softly than before. But Thurston, everything might have been done to lead her right, as you call it, without this child, this miserable offspring of sin. The world has, indeed, made such children miserable, innocent as they are, but I doubt if this be according to the will of God, unless it is his punishment for the parent's guilt, and even then, the world's way of treatment is too apt to harden the mother's natural love into something like hatred. Shame and the terror of friends' displeasure turn her mad, defile her holiest instincts, and, as for the fathers, God forgive them, I cannot at least, not just now. Miss Benson thought on what her brother said, 
at length she asked thurston remember i'm not convinced how would you have this girl treated according to your theory it will require some time and much christian love to find out the best way i know i'm not very wise but the way i think it would be right to act in would be this he thought for some time before he spoke and then said she has incurred a responsibility that we both acknowledge she is about to become a mother and have the direction and guidance of a little tender life i fancy such responsibility must be serious and solemn enough without making it into a heavy and oppressive burden so that human nature recalls from bearing it while we do all we can to strengthen her sense of responsibility i would likewise do all we can to make her feel that it is responsibility for what may become a blessing whether the children are legitimate or illegitimate asked miss benson dryly yes said her brother firmly the more i think the more i believe i am right no one said he blushing faintly as he spoke can have a greater recoil from profligacy than i have you yourself have not greater sorrow over this young creature's sin than i have the difference is this you confuse the consequence with the sin i don't understand metaphysics i am not aware that i am talking metaphysics i can imagine that if the present occasion be taken rightly and used well all that is good in her may be raised to a height unmeasured but by god for while all that is evil and dark may by his blessing fade and disappear in the pure light of her child's presence o oh, father listen to my prayer that her redemption may date from this time help us to speak to her in the loving spirit of thy holy son the tears were full in his eyes he almost trembled in his earnestness he was faint with the strong power of his own conviction and with his inability to move his sister but she was shaken she sat very still for a quarter of an hour or more while he leaned back exhausted by his own feelings the poor child said she at length the poor poor child what it will have to struggle through and endure do you remember thomas wilkins and the way he threw the registry of his birth and baptism back in your face why he would not have this situation he went to sea and was drowned rather than present the record of his shame i do remember it all it has often haunted me she must strengthen her child to look to god rather than to man's opinion it will be the discipline the penance she has incurred she must teach it to be humanly speaking self-dependent but after all said miss benson for she had known and esteemed poor thomas wilkins and had mourned over his untimely death and the recollection thereof softened her after all it might be concealed the very child need never know its illegitimacy how asked her brother why we know so little about her yet but in that letter it said she had no friends now could she not go into quite a fresh place and be passed off as a widow 
ah tempter unconscious tempter here was a way of evading the trials for the poor little unborn child of which mr benson had never thought it was the decision the pivot on which the fate of years moved and he turned it the wrong way but it was not for his own sake for himself he was brave enough to tell the truth for the little helpless baby about to enter a cruel biting world he was tempted to evade the difficulty he forgot what he had just said of the discipline and the penance to the mother consisting in strengthening her child to meet trustfully and bravely the consequences of her own weakness he remembered more clearly the wild fierceness the cane-like look of thomas wilkins as the obnoxious word in the baptismal registry told him that he must go forth branded into the world with his hand against every man's and every man's against him how could it be managed faith nay i must know much more which she alone can tell us before i can see how it is to be managed it is certainly the best plan perhaps it is said her brother thoughtfully but no longer clearly or decidedly and so the conversation dropped ruth moved the bed curtain aside in her soft manner when miss benson re-entered the room she did not speak but she looked at her as if she wished her to come near miss benson went and stood by her ruth took her hand in hers and kissed it as if fatigued even by this slight movement she fell asleep miss benson took up her work and thought over her brother's speeches she was not convinced but she was softened and bewildered End of chapter 11